Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crowdy. It's good to be with you. I know, Father, we've been traveling a whole lot. It is ordination season. Glad we could actually find a time on <laughs> the schedule to get together and record. Um, with with exactly. your travels, with all the ordinations I've been to, with our students here from the seminary, and with our own upcoming ordination in Sioux City this weekend, it's a bit crazy, but I'm glad we could have this time together. Yeah, we're still uh, separated, even though you're going to be back pretty soon here for our own ordination here in Sioux City. I don't think we could have squeezed it in. That would have been a little tight, maybe a little yeah. hectic, but it's good. Yeah. It's good. We're uh, we're still rocking our long-distance connection here while you're still in St. Louis, but that's fine. That's right. So I've been to several ordinations in St. Louis, in Wichita, Kansas. I want Wichita, you to rank Kansas. them on the coolest. Go. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. What's that? I, said I didn't rank, hear you. I said rank them on the coolest. Oh. <laughs> They're Don't all unique. Do Every that. local church has its own flavor, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you've been in ordination in Twin, Twin Cities. I've been to Wichita, St. Louis, uh, St. Joe, Missouri, uh, up in the Kansas City Diocese. We're going to be in Sioux City together. It's just it's ordination season, which is a great privilege. It's a great blessing for the church to have new deacons and new priests being sent forth on mission to serve the people of God. It is. And getting, well, and especially for you, getting to see the come to completion having worked with them in seminary throughout this past year yeah and you know with god willing passing years you know as you as you walk with men further and further along you'll notice this in the vocations office um and for however long i'm in seminary formation you'll just see that as as you walk with these men for a long period of time getting them to the ordination day you know there's just a lot of joy in, in in the labor of love that that seminary work is and watching a man grow and seeing the vocation and the grace take off in a man. And you can really say, say he's walking with Jesus, and mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is doing powerful things in his life. It's always a great witness. In those varied you know, Midwest cities, Father Shane, I'm just curious, what was, the, what was the best thing you had to eat? Was there any delicacies of those cities that you visited that kind of well, shown Well, the shown first brighter? thing that comes to mind is I was at, in Wichita, downtown, um, I went to breakfast the morning of the ordination with some priests to a restaurant called Homegrown. Oh. And uh, it was a great, great uh, restaurant downtown. They have on their restaurant menu homemade, from scratch, Pop-Tarts. Whoa. And they had it on their menu actually naming uh, them as Pop-Tarts. And... Uh, uh, lawyers approached them and said, um, cease and desist, because that is a copyrighted name. Did they call them so, Top Parts or something like that? No, they now call <laughs> them, I think, HG Tarts for homegrown tarts. Oh, funny. That's funny. Um, did, you, did you get to try one of these? I did, and wow. uh, it's the real deal. They were delicious. <laughs> we're not talking just some whatever. I, I apologize to you know Pop-Tarts brand trademark out there. I don't know if it's Kellogg's or Procter & Gamble, whoever owns that, but... Um, I was never a Pop-Tart guy, Father Shane. A lot of high school kids, they love Pop-Tarts. I've never mm-hmm. actually liked Pop-Tarts at all. Toaster strudels, different story. Pop-Tarts, not that great. But maybe this homegrown Pop-Tart thing could change my mind. I don't know. It was great. Wow. It was great. I highly recommend it. 
I don't I know that I would go so far as to call it a delicacy, but it was great. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Which guys? We'll have to ask them if they've had the HD Pop Tart, HD Tart. Excuse me. We don't. Yes, we don't want to get any legal troubles here. Um, right. I got to experience um, a breakfast treat too. I was in St. Paul, and I was kind of in like sort of urban St. Paul, standing at a rectory with some people. St. Paul's wonderful, and we you were there, Father Shane. You know it's a beautiful city with all those big trees. It was like the perfect weather. It was like 75 degrees. It was a mm. wonderful, beautiful weekend at St. Paul. I was looking up a breakfast place, same kind of thing, on my way to the ordination at the cathedral. St. Paul has a lot of cool little, you know, kind of some, some hipster ones, some older ones. I'm like, I can find a cool one. Well, the first one I tried to find very close to where I was staying, it was right by the farmer's market. So there's a million people, nowhere to park. I bailed on that. And I stumbled upon one. Okay, what are those? I've asked people this recently. Those little Irish rings, it's like the two hands with the heart. It's like Clauda, Clauda. Somebody's probably telling me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes sometimes young adult Catholic girls will wear these rings that have two hands with a heart and a crown. It's an Irish thing. And it like which direction you have it on signifies if you're like, you know, have a boyfriend or something, whatever. Clauda, Clauda, something. But there's this little tiny cafe on the corner in St. Paul. And I went in there. And I'm a coffee guy, as you know. We've talked about it all the time. And I had an incredible cortado there, really fun glassware, beautiful. And I was like, gosh, I'm not a big pastry guy for breakfast, Father Shane. I would have not gone for the homegrown Pop-Tart. I would have gone for some sort of savory option instead. They had breakfast sandwiches there. And that little, that little espresso and breakfast sandwich, that just set me on the right path to have a wonderful ordination morning. So okay. I also found a little <laughs> breakfast treat out there in the... Well, I'm I'm glad your prayer experiences can be always started with good coffee and a good breakfast sandwich. Good for you. Yeah, wonderful. (laughs) Well, one of of the ordinations that I was in was in St. Joe, Missouri. I have a food connection with this place too, but keep going. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I really kind of want to base our conversation today around St. Joe, Missouri. Historic city as the original cathedral of the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joe. And um, the diaconate ordination that I was at was in the co-cathedral, the original cathedral in St. Joe, the more historic one. Mm-hmm. And obviously that whole city has started, the whole diocese has really started to expand around the Kansas City metropolitan area. Um, but the bishop intentionally wants to use the co-cathedral in the more historic part. And so we were up in St. Joe. Um, now, before I launch into that, you just look like you're on the, the, the edge of your seat to share some I gotta food. I got to share it. You know? Well, listen. Go ahead. <laughs> I have, and you corrected me a little bit when we were talking before we started the show. I have compared St. Joe, Missouri and Sioux City, Iowa. They're very, 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 very similar. Old is, river towns. They're old yes. river towns. They're literally on the same river and the same interstate. And they have mm-hmm. very similar parts of town. They kind of have the same, like, kind of suburban areas. They have the same metro area or the, the, the mm-hmm. kind of urban center. Um I spent a lot of time in St. Joe when I was in college seminary, very close to conception. But what I think is the most similar aspect to Sioux City and St. Joe, Missouri, is their claim on creating basically the same candy. Sioux Cityans who are listening know that the Twin Bing by Palmer Candy is a delicacy in Northwest Iowa, right? Yes. And Father Shane, uh, Twin Bing, of course, we know, is kind of chopped up peanuts with chocolate packed around this kind of oddly pink quote-unquote cherry nougat cherry nougat if you will uh, in the center yeah and it's a twin bing and there's two of them saint joe has the exact same thing called a cherry mash and there's just one big one they are Mm -hmm. exactly the same but both Mm -hmm. cities think that they created them right 
maybe they happened simultaneously, right? Or maybe just the cheapest option for candy, you know, in the 1800s was chopping up peanuts and making some pink nougat situation. I don't know who had it first. I, I have had other brands of the sim- similar product. So have, you had a cherry, those... did you, have you had a cherry mash? Yes, I have. Okay. Okay. Yes, I've had a cherry mash, and I've had some other companies' renditions of that. There are other companies who actually put like a, a cordial cherry in the center of the pink cherry wow. nougat, surrounded by the peanuts. All and I'm the saying chocolate. is that St. Joe folks are as sort of like proud that that the cherry mash is part of their identity as Sioux Cityans are with the Twin Bing. That's all I'm saying. Fair enough. They're very similar cities, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about St. Joe. Okay. Thank you for that introduction You're welcome, to my story about St. Anytime, Joe's. anytime. Um, so we were at this diaconate ordination, and uh, it was for one of our Kenrick students. He did a great job, beautiful liturgy. But, you know, when you're an outsider coming in and you're celebrating, uh, can celebrating a mass in a, in a cathedral you've never been in before, uh, I knew a few priests there, but I, I really didn't know a whole lot of people. As an outsider coming in, it just lets you have a position to sit there and pray and just observe what's going on. What are their local traditions? What, what's the flavor of their liturgy? What's the music like? Um, you know, everything. So I just got to sit there and observe. What was fascinating to me is that here we are in an old river town that at least, you know, in, in certain parts of the downtown, they look like they're kind of past their prime, which is true for a lot of old river towns, and that economic development has, has spread out in other parts of the city. We're in a, a really historic Midwest cathedral, um, you know, one of the earliest cathedrals uh, of the plains. And this ancient liturgy in an old cathedral, an ancient liturgy, an ancient ritual of ordaining a deacon through the laying on of hands and the calling down of the Holy Spirit through the church's ritual prayers, which goes all the way back to the Acts of the Apostles. So this is, a, this is over a 2,000-year tradition and a ritual through sacred worship being celebrated in an old cathedral in an old town in which most people in that whole community had no clue what we were doing that day. They had no clue that this was going on, that there was a ritual being celebrated that is 20 centuries old. And that seemed to be so lost on on the rest of the world around them. And and I realize this is true for for most Catholic masses, for most Catholic um, ordinations that go on. If you're not in in a super Catholic area, most people don't know what's going on in Christian churches all the time. But it was just really stark when you're a visitor and you see it from the outside that our, our liturgies, our form of worship, to an outsider driving by that day must have looked incredibly bizarre, incredibly passe, something that most of the modern world can't even relate to. Here you have a bishop, deacons, priests, knights of Columbus with their swords, choir members in their choir robes, all going into this cathedral um, to celebrate and to worship and to call down the Holy Spirit in, in a very important ordination rite. And most of the world can't even relate to that or have a clue what's going on. Mm-hmm. And at, at one point, um, I kind of found myself in the middle of the liturgy just thinking about this um, maybe lack of connection that we have with yeah. the rest of the world, or that perhaps that you could say the rest of the world ha- doesn't have with us. Yeah. Um, and, and I wouldn't say that I was feeling self-conscious about it, but I was just aware of it. 
because uh, when you're when you're an outsider and, and you're coming into a new environment to pray, it just lets you see things with fresh eyes. And and I wouldn't say that the the liturgy itself is is, is boring. I mean, this is this is sacred worship in which you know God is fully present and and we are in union with Him. But I was taking note of how the rest of the world around us is really missing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after the liturgy. I mean, certainly God was present in the liturgy, in the Eucharist, in the actual ordination, right? In the liturgy of the word through sacred scripture being proclaimed. But after the liturgy, I started having some conversations. And one of them, I was standing in the reception line, and this elderly couple came up to me, and they started saying, you know, have you, have you seen our sister Wilhelmina? Oh. And I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, well, we, we just came from the Benedictine Monastery, where they just dug her up two weeks ago because they were the sisters at the Benedictine Monastery were going to transfer her body. I know this right. is in Catholic news these days. They said, we, we just came from there. The sisters wanted to transfer her body as the foundress. Um, to the new abbey church. To a, to a tomb in the new abbey. And when they dug her up, they realized um, she appears to be incorrupt. Now, we are going on the record right now that we are not declaring anything about her incorruptibility and her sanctity. That is not our job to canonize her. That is the Pope's job. And it is the local bishop's job to figure out if she's you know, incorrupt. There's going to have to be vast medical studies done, and they're going to need time to see what the effects of error are going to do now that she's been unearthed. That is not our role. But We're anyways, just here talking about cool stuff in St. Joseph, Missouri. That's right. And the phenomenon that there are just thousands and thousands and thousands of people flocking there right now to go pray at her tomb. In fact, I got a text message from some friends. They have a a young girl in their family who had a a brain trauma, and they brought her to Mm. Sister Wilhelmina, and uh, she's made incredible recoveries Mm. very, very quickly, getting off ventilators and everything. Mm. Um, I'm not declaring it to be a miracle. That is not my role in the church. But anyways... There is a phenomenon going on right now where thousands of people are flocking to see Sister Wilhelmina in her tomb. So which much is so that the Gower, state patrol which is, are, which is in Gower, Missouri, which is kind of close to St. Joseph. That's right. Yeah. And the, the state patrol is there, uh, you know, just uh, governing the flow of traffic because pilgrims just keep coming to pray there. And listen, talking to this elderly couple at the reception after the diaconate ordination, they were just so excited to tell me. Uh, because they went there and they they talked to the sisters. They actually touched Sister Wilhelmina's body before she was put behind a glass tomb. Mm. Um, and you could just see the faith alive in them that they knew that sanctity is real. Mm. And whatever is declared about Sister Wilhelmina, they know that holiness is real among these consecrated religious. Uh, they know that the Lord is going to consistently going to present us signs that encourage us with faith in the lives of the saints and in the lives of, of countless holy people in our midst, regardless if they're canonized by Rome or not. And, and, and just watching their faith come alive in the midst of a world that didn't recognize what we were doing that day, in a world that didn't recognize uh, what this whole ordination was even about, you could just see the freshness and the beauty of faith alive in the voices and in the eyes, the twinkle of the eyes of this elderly couple. And then, not five minutes later, I was in another conversation with a priest who was telling me about the powerful intercession that he has received in his life for the past 20 years from a young man who died um, up in the Twin Cities. Um, 
when I was in college seminary up in the Twin Cities at St. John Vianney College Seminary, there was a man who had applied and had been accepted to SJV, but he was tragically killed before he ever made it to seminary. Mm. This priest in Kansas City has been praying for his intercession and could name very, very powerful graces that have come in which he is convinced that this young man, uh, who always intended to be a priest, has been interceding for him and has been helping him and countless others. He could name the graces. Um, he, he, he was very specific in, in knowing how he thinks this young man is interceding from heaven uh, in particular ways to help the, the church right now. So both of these conversations happened within about a 10-minute interval of one another. And it was just very, very stark for me to, to be in this historic town, to be part of a, a historic ritual that most of the community didn't have a clue what we were doing or would even, wouldn't even care of how to relate. And for any feelings that might seem passe, any feelings that might seem out of touch or disconnected from the world around us, uh, to, to see the Eucharist, you know, and to be part of that once again in the sacred ritual, to see the ritual of the laying on of hands, ordaining a man a deacon, and then to hear these stories of the faith really alive in people that they, are, they know they are receiving support from the intercession of the saints in heaven, in which their faith is just really alive because they just know there have been holy souls in our midst who continue to cheer for us, who continue to... Uh, to encourage us from their privileged places in the kingdom of God, uh, having passed beyond this world into the world to come, watching that faith alive was also also just very encouraging for me. Um, So this is a very long-winded way of saying, uh, in the midst of a world that doesn't recognize what we're doing, that doesn't recognize who we are, and probably thinks that we are just completely out in left field and out to lunch as practicing Christians, the faith is very much alive. Mm. Uh, and, and you have to have the proper disposition to see it. You have to have the eyes uh, and, a, and a disposition of love to see where faith is really being authenticated and where graces are consistently being given from heaven. And when you start to notice those things, uh, it, it, it's just very comforting and very encouraging to realize that God is certainly still in our midst and he's doing awesome and wonderful things, even in ways that sometimes take us by surprise. Mm-hmm. I'll just stop recording now because that was awesome. No, that was, yeah. Father Shane, thank you for sharing that encouragement because I think what's important that was coming up in me is lots of people, lots of Catholics feel outcast in exactly this, like this situation you just outlined, right? Where it's like physically kind of deteriorated part of town, right? Like this downtown part of St. Joe. We could say it about Sioux City. We could say it about a lot of places, right? It's like the river town experience, right? in this older church with his older ritual that seems so disconnected and we can even feel that way you know when i was like walking through like hipster you know like village or whatever it like around saint paul like going to this cool coffee shop it was the same feeling you know saint paul's cathedral up on the big hill kind of has a little bit more prominence and like you feel like you're doing something important like up on this big hill in in saint paul but it's that same feeling of like i saw you know all these young adult kind of couples and stuff kind of before the mass. And then afterwards, when I went out to get lunch with some friends around the same area in St. Paul, the same feeling of like, Oh, like this has nothing to do with them. And they don't probably don't have a lot of interest in what's happening here. You know what we just experienced. It seems so disconnected. And I think a lot of people, especially in our towns, in the Midwest, in Northwest Iowa, here in Sioux city, 
when people are realizing how disconnected the expression of the faith and our particular way of expressing it through Catholicism, where we are, there's a temptation to just kind of complain that maybe a certain Christendom is gone, right? But then the question is like, well, what do you actually do in the midst of that like kind of disconnect, right? And you were seeing it, and, and it looks like you received a real grace in the midst of that, like being attentive to it, attentive to your experience. But in the midst, as you were attentive to your experience, you actually had an openness then to receive like God's presence that was there. You know, we, we are recording this on the, the Feast of the Visitation, and this is my, my own um, anniversary of diaconate ordination uh, on the Feast of the Visitation. And the, the hiddenness of Christ in this feast day that we celebrate today, right? Like Christ is hidden in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but yet John the Baptist leaps in the womb. So there's this, there's this anticipation of receiving God, and Christ, while he's literally physically hidden, is revealing himself even to John the Baptist, right, who's hidden. And Christ, it just seems, is always trying to reveal himself in these hidden ways where we might not expect to see him, right, in this kind of disconnected experience of maybe the church in the world. But then in the midst of that, Christ breaks through and shows us that, no, what's happening in that ordination, the beauty of that ritual, isn't just a nice thing that we do to remember the past, like some nostalgia. It's actually happening, right? And like you said, the faith is alive, right? And like the Holy Spirit is at work in the in the heart of this new deacon who was ordained there, but then in the hearts of these people who encountered um, this potential miracle with Sister uh, Wilhelmina, and then this, you know, experience of this intercession with this priest. That is a real encouragement because I think a lot of us, if we're not attentive to it, we probably should be. That we're probably a little dissatisfied with our experience of where the church is in relation to culture, right? Or where the church is in relationship to our own, like, you know, um, place where we find ourselves in our communities. It seems disconnected. It doesn't seem like it has anything to do with a lot of people's lives. So then it turns back on us and says, well, what does this really have to do with my life, right? But it's the witnesses of these people that says, no, uh, God is actually meeting me. And that gives me hope that he can meet me. Maybe just to, just to offer that last line from the visitation that's so beautiful. Elizabeth says, blessed are you who believed that what the Lord said would be fulfilled. That's mm-hmm. the line that stuck with me on my ordination to the diaconate. That still sticks with me on this feast day. Elizabeth is is rejoicing in Mary's faithfulness to believing that God is faithful, right? That he is faithful, right? So that's the encouragement that we can receive from your, kind of the graces you received in St. Joseph is that, you know, God is still at work and he's just as much at work like in my life, in your life, in the lives of these people as he is in the lives of the saints and in the lives of these young men across the country being ordained right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants to be faithful to his promise to us, right? So we get to rejoice in that. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's a great encouragement for hope to know that the Lord's promises are always going to be fulfilled, um, and it requires our faith and a devout sense of love to be uh, to be vigilant for that, knowing that His graces are always going to be unfolding in providential ways. So, just a few uh, comments to, and thoughts to share with these reflections with our listeners. Good to be with you, Father Crotty. See you soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.